Well, how many of you dread getting these out every year? If it isn't, well, there's lights blown on it, bulbs blown. You, you roll them up right and put them away, and then when you take them out, it's like they come alive inside the box. And they say to themselves, how can we make our master's life miserable? Here's how. We're going to get all tangled up. And sometimes you spend more time, does this look familiar? Straightening these things and trying to get them out of the mess. And sometimes I think it's worth it just to throw them all in the garbage and go buy new boxes every year. Sometimes our lives get all tangled up. They get in a mess. It's not always easy to untangle the mess, is it? We find ourselves in a mess that, well, it's not always of our own making. Other people do things. Other people make choices, and it impacts us, right? But there are those moments when we create our own messes. We make our own choices. And that gets our life all tangled up, all messed up. Some messes are little. Some messes are big. But the reality is every one of us are going to have messes in life. And sometimes we're going to feel and maybe even look like this. Just a tangled mess and we wonder, can we ever get it straightened out? Can we ever make it work? Well, for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at this issue in a series I've titled Another Fine Mess. And we're going to focus in particular on messes that we create for ourselves. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, because that's where we're going to be studying for the next six weeks. And, and looking at messes that we create for ourselves, why we create them, the choices, the kind of attitudes that are usually behind the decisions that lead to a mess. And then even more importantly, what do you do once you're in a mess? And how do you get out of it? How do you get right with God? And how do you make things right with other people? And, and, and how do you move forward? Because you can't always go back, can you? You've got to move forward from where you are. So how do you do that? But today I want to focus on understanding that sometimes we create our own mess. And, and the reason we're going to study Jeremiah is the, the people of his day created a real mess for themselves and for their nation. We're going to look at a mess that existed in the life of the nation of Judah. Now you'll remember that uh, years before this, Israel had experienced civil war. And the nation came apart in the middle and you had the northern country that ended up being called Israel and the southern tribes that, that are called Judah. And so Jeremiah was ministering to the southern tribe of Judah because the northern country, Israel, had already been destroyed by the Assyrians. They didn't exist anymore. So all that remained was the southern tribes and it's called Judah. And they had not learned from the mistakes of their kinsmen up north a century earlier. They repeated all those same mistakes, made all those same bad choices, and found themselves in a really bad mess. Here, here's the scene. Here's the setting. The city of Jerusalem is completely surrounded and cut off from the outside world by the most powerful army on the planet at that moment in history almost 600 years before the time of Christ. The country, the army is Babylon. 
Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. No reinforcements. No fresh supplies. The food stock is gone. The water is contaminated. Sewage is making the city a terrible place to be. Hunger and starvation, thirst are rampant. The people are discouraged, and it's a terrible, terrible situation. In fact, in the book of Lamentations, I wanted to read a couple of verses because Lamentations is a book Jeremiah wrote, and it's a lament. It's his heart cry, his it's like he sat down and put pen to paper and said, this is how I feel about what I see. This is, this is how terrible it is. And I want you to listen to how he described the scene. When for 18 months this city is under siege and nobody can get in and out and they're starving to death. Listen to how he describes it in, in Lamentations chapter 2. He said, the elders of the daughters of Zion, a way of referring to the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, they sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloths a way that a, a Jew would repent and, and, and pray before God when they knew they had done wrong. He says, My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When, now listen. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city, they say to their mothers, where is grain and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom? He continues, the tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst. The little ones ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies, those who were wealthy and could have the fine foods of life, are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple, the color of royalty and wealth, embrace ash pits, the garbage dump. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It is withered. It has become like wood. Better are those slain with a sword than those slain with hunger. And then he goes on to describe acts of cannibalism that took place in the city. It's a terrible picture. It's a terrible scene. It's a terrible time in the life of Judah. And at the end of that 18-month siege, the Babylonian army, after bombarding the walls daily, breached the walls. They murder thousands of citizens. They burn every significant building in the city, level it, to the ground. Anything of value they remove and take back with them to Babylon. They even destroy the temple. Solomon's beautiful, beautiful temple. They burn it to the ground. It's completely gone. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, all removed to Babylon and melted down for gold. And the majority of the citizens they allow to live are taken away from Judah to live in Babylon as slaves. And only the poorest of the poor are left behind. 
work the land. And it's a terrible existence for them in the decades that would follow. The year is 587 B.C. Now this terrible moment in Judah's history had been building for a long time. And the truth is, when the day comes that you realize your life looks like this, it didn't happen in one second. Usually it's been building with one decision after another, one attitude after another. For a century, Judah had endured one bad king after another, one ungodly king after another. In fact, in that hundred years, they'd only have one good king, one godly king, Josiah, who tried to stop the tide of pagan religion, the tide of immorality, the tide of injustice. Forty years before this dreadful day, God chose a young man named Jeremiah to be a prophet. And Jeremiah would spend the next 40 years telling the people they are wrong, they're living in sin, they're not following God, they're making bad choices. Idols were set up everywhere. The God of Israel, the God of Judah was mostly forgotten as they worshipped one pagan religion after another, as they blended the worship of the true God with the worship of false gods. The temple itself at one moment had even been boarded up and worship in there not allowed. At other times, idols to pagan gods were placed all around it and within it. Promiscuity was rampant. Economic injustice was rampant. People didn't treat each other right. It had become a decadent, a decadent society because the more they forgot the God of Judah, the more decadent the society became. And folks, you need to understand that always happens in life. When you forget God, immorality eventually rules. And that was their story. And so decade after decade, Jeremiah stands as this lonely voice saying, Repent and come home or God's going to judge But they wouldn't listen to him. They didn't have independence as a nation. For most of that time, Assyria was the dominant power in the world. And Judah was a slave state, if you will. They paid tribute or what we would today call taxes to Assyria. They weren't a free country. And then in 605 B.C., Babylon defeated Assyria. And so Judah now had a new master to whom they paid taxes. And to, to exert their authority, Babylon took some young men, the finest, brightest young men in Judah in 605. They, they took them as slaves to Babylon to serve in the king's court. One of those young men was Daniel, who would spend the rest of his life as a prophet in Babylon. Puppet kings put on the throne. Jeremiah would tell them what to do. They never listened. They never listened they didn't turn back to God and then they rebelled against Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar sent his army in and put down the rebellion and he, he carried off the leading citizens as slaves and he took all their wealth from them. And in 598, when he deported a second group to Babylon, those leading citizens, among them was a young priest named Ezekiel who would become a prophet of God and spend all of his life in Babylon never again setting foot in Judah. 
Jeremiah continues to tell them, Babylon is God's instrument to get your attention. God is judging you. Will you listen? The more you make choices against God, the more you do immorality, the more your life looks like this. And God's trying to get your attention. Are you going to listen? But they said no. And it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And then finally they rebelled again. And by this time, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, had had enough, and he sent his army to Jerusalem with full force. And the siege took place, and the city was destroyed. And it would be over a century after that before Jerusalem would look like a city again. And one of the things that God said to them through the prophet Jeremiah, this mess that you're in as a people is a mess of your own making. Look at what he said in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 19. It shall come to pass when they say, Why? Why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? We're His chosen people. We're privileged. I've asked Jesus into my life. I go to church. Why would God do something like this to me? And God said to Jeremiah, tell them when they ask, why has God done all these things to us? You are to say to them this in verse 19. As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you will serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Referring to the deportations, the exiles. God said, you forgot me. You turned your back on me. You did your own thing. And God said, I'll let you have your way. Just as you turned your back on me, I'm turning my back on you. And you will be deported. And you will suffer the mess that you have created. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 18, the prophet said to the people, Your ways and your deeds have brought these things to you. Your choices. Now, the truth is... There are moments in life when we find ourselves in a mess and we know it's because of decisions we made or because of decisions we were unwilling to make. Sometimes the the supposed not making a decision can have consequences just as bad as making a certain kind of decision because when you don't make a decision, you did make a decision. And sometimes our failure to act Our failure to establish the right priorities create the mess. Create the opportunities that open the door to terrible things in our own lives. And part of of God's judgment is allowing us to experience the consequences of our choices. God said what was happening to Babylon, what was happening to Israel, to Judah, through the nation of, of Babylon was a mess of their own making and it was an expression of his own judgment. Look in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Chapter 1. It's all summarized in verses 13 to 16. The word of the Lord came to me a second time. This is Jeremiah. And he said, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north, facing away from the north like a, a pot full of boiling water turning to the south. You see, Babylon followed the Fertile Crescent and they would travel north 
up toward Nineveh and over to Assyria and then south into Judah. And here's this boiling pot. I grew up on a farm and we would slaughter hogs in November. And there would always be that big black kettle of boiling water we would use to clean the hogs. You know what boiling water does, what scorching water does. And Jeremiah says, if you want an image of what's to come, I see this boiling pot, this pot of boiling hot water, and and, and it's in the north, and it's being poured over, and it's going to run south. It's going to run all over Judah. And it's going to scorch the land. It's going to destroy everything in its path. Verse 14. And then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdom of of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. Babylon became their ruler. And against all its walls, the walls around the city of Jerusalem, round about and against all the cities of Judah, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. God says what's happening is a mess you created and it's also an expression of my judgment. Jeremiah 9.16 the prophet said I will scatter them among the nations. Jeremiah 16.13 I will hurl you out of the land for I will show you no favor. You see folks sometimes the judgment of God is not necessarily what he does but what he allows. Sometimes the judgment of God is His choosing to no longer show favor on us. That that if we want to make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, if we want to make immoral decision after immoral decision after immoral decision, God says sometimes I'm just going to withdraw my favor and not protect you anymore and I'll let you make a mess of it because of all the choices you're making. He said to the people of Judah, I'm I'm withholding my favor. I'm not going to protect you from yourself anymore because you're not learning. We all understand that as parents, sometimes love has to be tough, doesn't it? Sometimes we have to let our kids or our grandkids experience the pain of their own attitudes and decisions. If we understand that on the human level, Why do we not understand it's also true on the spiritual realm that God will let us experience the pain of our immorality if we choose to walk that path? And that's what he did with Judah. And it had gotten to the point that it was too late for judgment to be avoided. Look at chapter 14 of Jeremiah. Go and turn to chapter 14. Jeremiah had been... 30 plus years preaching, teaching, calling the people to repentance, warning them. When is enough enough? When do you say to your son or daughter, I'm not bailing you out this time? When does God say to you, enough is enough? I'm not bailing you out this time. Chapter 14, verse 11. And so the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Did you hear that? 
God said, Jeremiah, stop praying for them. The time has passed. My judgment is set, and nothing's going to change it. There's no point in you praying anymore. Can you imagine how bad things have to be if God says, I don't want anybody to pray for you anymore? It's done. Verse 12, when they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. When they offer burnt offerings and grain offering, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I'm going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. And then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me. Remember, Moses considered, you know, the other than Abraham, the most important person in Israel's history, led them to freedom during the exodus from Egypt, the giver of the Ten Commandments, the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses. Samuel, considered by most to be the greatest prophet they ever had, the one who anointed their first king. Though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. God said, Jeremiah, it's too late. Even if Moses and Samuel stood in front of me and begged me to stop the judgment, it's too late. Folks, we can reach a place in life where the consequences can't be stopped. Your liver's shot because you drank all your life. Your lungs are destroyed because you smoke all your life. Your family doesn't want anything to do with you because you've treated them like you know what and you've been unfaithful to your spouse time and time again and they don't trust you anymore and there's nothing seemingly you can do to restore trust. You can't get a good job because nobody trusts your integrity because you've let other people down time after time after time. There, there come moments in life when the mess is, is, is so tangled up, you can't stop the consequences. They're going to happen. Now, in the weeks to come, we are going to look at how do you move beyond this and Jeremiah does give us that. In fact, one of, the, one of the most inspiring passages in this prophecy is right in the middle of that siege by the Babylonians. You know what Jeremiah did? When the land was being destroyed, all the cities and towns outside Jerusalem had already been burned. The future, I mean, it was obvious. You know what Jeremiah did? He went out and bought a piece of land. And said to the people, God's got a future. Now, he's not going to stop what's happening, but there's a way forward. And we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But if you don't accept the reality of your choices and your mess, you'll never make it to that way forward. If you want God to always get you out of the mess without you changing anything, 
Well, that's you changing your thinking and your approach to life and your decision-making. You want God just to be the Santa Claus that swoops in at the last minute and rescues you. That's not how it works. There's no, listen, there's no repentance without coming face-to-face with our sin first. That there's no moving forward without looking at where we are first and how we got there and being honest about it. And that's what today's message is all about. Because everything else I'm going to preach is useless to anyone in this room if we don't deal with what we're talking about today. Babylon was God's instrument. See, sometimes God will use the bad things in life for our good if we let him. So what were their choices? What were their actions that created this mess? The next two weeks we're going to look at several of them. But all of them are summarized in one thing I want to talk about for just a few minutes. It all originated, all their bad choices, all the, all the wrong actions, everything they did that made a mess of their life, it all originated with one sin, the sin of idolatry. And when we think of idolatry, we think of idols, you know, carved out of stone or wood or something. But idolatry at its essence is not giving God his rightful place in our life, allowing something else or someone else, anything else, to have our heart, to have our throne, to direct our approach to living. In chapter 1, verse 16, the verse we looked at a moment ago, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness whereby they have forsaken me and offered sacrifices to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. Idols were things that people made with their own hands and that's what they worshipped. But you see, you and I do that. We worship the things we buy with the money our hands create. We, we, we worship the things that we go after in life. We, we worship the things that we hold on to and that we possess. There, there are some in this room who worship your kids more than you worship Jesus Christ, those kids you created. And rather than you teaching them, they control you. Something displaces God in His kingship, His lordship. Now, I'm going to say up front that in our modern culture, there's a segment of society that rejects the notion that God is God and therefore I am to be submissive. Because the trend in our culture is to create our own God in our own image who feels like we feel, thinks like we think, values what we value, and agrees with us. The problem is any God you create yourself is nothing more than a figment of your imagination. 
He's not real. God has personhood. God is independent of you. God is God. God created you. You don't create him. The problem is our, our world has a lot of ideas, but they're about as deep as a quick rain. Because our world doesn't like to think seriously about tough questions. We like shallow answers, surface answers that make us feel good. But what the God who created us says is He's God and we're not. And every time we displace Him with other things that become more valuable and that determine how we approach life, we end up making choices that sometimes create this. And you can spend a lot of time trying to straighten this stuff out. You know what's better? Never create the mess in the first place. Never create the mess in the first place. So how did they treat God? They turned away from Him. They've forsaken Him. They abandoned Him, He says. Turned away from God. They forgot Him. Jeremiah 3.21, they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. It doesn't mean you have to say God is not real. It doesn't mean you have to shake your fist in His face and say, I hate God. It just means you live your life and yeah, in the back of your mind you know there's a God, but basically you live your life as though there's not one. You make your decisions as though God doesn't have much input on it because you're your God. You or whatever you want is on the throne of your life. That's what it means to turn away from God, to forget God, to, to think you don't need God. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, look at it. He says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. I'm, God is saying, I, I, like a fountain that gives water, that sustains life, I'm the one who established their existence as a people in the first place. God is the one who called Abraham and made his descendants a nation. God is the one who delivered them from Egypt and set them up in the promised land. They were his people. He had made them. <clears throat> but they've forsaken me, he says in verse 12, to, and, and to hew for themselves cisterns. That rather than continue to drink water from me, they are, they are building their own cisterns, drilling their own wells, drinking their own water. The problem is, he says, those are broken cisterns that can hold no water. Every time you abandon God for something you create, in the end, it doesn't work. God created us. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And when we give our lives to Him and repent of our sin and receive Him as Savior and Lord, we become His children. He gives us life, spiritual life, everlasting life. He's the cistern from which we drink. He's the well from which we get our water. And if we abandon Him and go over here and try to create our own well, get our own water, it doesn't last. And by the way, what cistern are you going to create? What well are you going to drill on your own that's going to do you any good the moment you die? 
doesn't work. In truth, Jeremiah says that the people of Judah acted like an unfaithful spouse. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 11, For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt treacherously with me. Literally, it's been utterly unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. My dad created a mess because he wouldn't make time for God in his life. And because he wouldn't make time for God in his life, he made choices that did this. He made a lot of money, and he lost a lot of money. Some of it through gambling and other immoral activities. He was unfaithful to my mother numerous times and brought great pain into our home. He created a mess because he wouldn't make time for God, and he made choices that made a mess. When I was 29, in April of that year, my dad became a believer. July, I baptized him. August, the doctor told us he had cancer. November, we buried him. And I never got to know the new man. so a lot of this is still in our memories. Don't do that to your family. Don't keep putting off into the future what you should be doing today. Life doesn't last on this planet. And you need to give the people you love and the people who love you something more than a mess. So seize the moments you have remaining. And instead of turning from God and living as if there is no God, allow God to direct your life so that you end up being a blessing to people instead of a pain. I put in your notes some questions to reflect on this week. What matters more to you than Jesus? What are some ways in which you've been like a bad spouse to God? What messes, be they big or small, have you created for yourself and for the people in your life because you didn't put God first? And what lessons can you learn from all of that? What's God saying to you? As I said, in the weeks to come, we'll look at how to move forward and how to make things right with God. But hear me, there is no making it right with God. And there is no moving forward without coming face to face and being honest about where we are and what we've done. What do we say about an alcoholic? It's got to hit bottom. 
got to stop making excuses. Anybody with a problem until you own the problem, you can't find a solution. And if sin is your problem, if not having God on the throne of your life is your your problem, there's no fixing it until you own it. And so this morning I'm challenging each and every one of us to own those things we need to own. To own the attitudes that are wrong, the choices that are wrong, the approaches to living that are to own them so that we can then be free and open to have God's healing come into our life, God's, God's hope for moving forward. But, but it starts with owning everything. So let's stand. And we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm, in, I'm inviting you to, to make your way to this altar and to kneel and to talk to the Lord to own your sin, to own your choices, to own your need, to own the pain that you've created for yourself or for others. And I know some of you are dealing with the mess and the pain of something that somebody else created for you. Here's the thing. You may not have been the one who created it, but if you spend the rest of your life holding on to the bitterness and the anger you are gradually creating another mess. You see, letting go of it and forgiving is critical to moving forward, even when somebody else creates a mess for us. Because as long as you continue to hold on to it, you'll never move forward. So let's sing. Make your way to the front. Kneel here and pray. Come and join this church. Talk to one of these pastors. You come make your decision right now.